Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 7, Episode 12. Again, getting paid a stipend, not a whole heck of a lot, living in a busy, very expensive city. But I was like, if I keep at this, if I keep my you know nose to the grindstone and I keep asking questions and I show up every day and I'm consistent with what I do, this is just a one-year gig and it's going to lead me to something bigger. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. This is the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Emily Schilling, an associate strength and conditioning coach at the University of Illinois. We're going to get to know her today. Emily, welcome. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. For sure. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today. We ran into each other and got talking to talking about volleyball strength and conditioning. This is a sport you're passionate about, sport you work with at Illinois and uh, wanted to give you a chance to open things up. Tell us about your role there and uh, the sports you work with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been here, oh gosh, almost seven years now, coming up in September. Um, how I got here, um, I'm originally from Wisconsin. I'm a Wisconsin kid. I'm a, I'm a cheesehead at heart, right? Um, I went to Wisconsin lacrosse, the D3 school. That's where I got my undergrad in exercise science. Uh, I believe the minor back then was fitness slash strength and conditioning. Um, after I left there, I, I, I guess, I guess going there, I, I wanted to be a physical therapist. I'll start there. I, I transferred to lacrosse from a community college because I wanted I wanted to be a physical therapist. Um, I tore my ACL meniscus in high school and I just had a really good experience in the physical therapy setting. So I was like, this is pretty cool working with athletes. Um, almost failed bio 105 at lacrosse. And so I was like, I don't know, you know, almost failing this um, and struggling through that. If I could do chem and physics and, and, and all of that coursework. So I was like, you know, what's, what's something I'm also passionate about. Um, but maybe doesn't require the, the, the rigorous coursework. And that's where I found strength and conditioning. Um, I just went to my advisor and I was like, I'm kind of lost. Don't know what to do. And he's like, we're well, already in the weight room. Like you're already, you're already in there a ton. Like, and the weight room is shared between students and the student athletes because it's a D3 program. And you already see the student athletes in there. Like, why don't you just go help? Like just approach a strength coach, just go help. And so I was like, oh, that's not a bad idea. So walked in there. Hey, I want to help out. He's like, great. You got volleyball. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want volleyball. Um, like, I just want to help you. And he's like, no, like I'm the only strength coach. We got whatever it was, 20 sports. Like I need help. You have volleyball. It's a spring semester. We'll talk about the programming. I'll help you through it. But you like, you're going to be in charge. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Got great results. Um, the girls loved it. The coach loved it. I loved it. I was like, this is what I want to do. And so when I graduated, I was like, you know, I'm going to do this thing big time. Um, division one, I, I knew that's where I wanted to be. And so I applied to, you know, like everyone to any and all internships around the country. And I landed at Northern Colorado, um, helped out with football, volleyball, both basketballs there that summer and absolutely just fell in love with the, with the culture, the state out there, um, the athletic department. And I was like, you know what, again, I'm going to give this thing a run. Um, I'm going to go back to grad school because that's what majority of job postings are saying is preferred master's degree, you know, challenge myself more from an educational standpoint. Um, and that's where I got my biomechanics degree was out there for three years at Northern Colorado. 
Uh, from there, I went to Villanova for one year. That was a, like a stipend paid one year position. And yeah, geez, I helped with everyone there. Football, lacrosse, volleyball, um, the rowing teams, throwers, golf. I, I got my hands dirty with everything there. Um, got, got a lot of programming experience. And that's probably the place I grew the most very quickly. Um, you know, your feet were to the fire and you had to grow. You had no choice but to grow. It was sink or swim, you know, but there was no choice. Like you had to swim. Um, that's probably where I grew the most, the fastest. Um, like I said, that was just a one-year gig. I knew that going into it. Um, and then I landed at Hofstra up in Long Island. And I was there for two years. My teams were volleyball, or not volleyball, basketball, softball, soccer, tennises, and women's golf. So again, six teams, a lot on your plate being at the mid-major. Uh, teaches you a lot, teaches you a lot very, very quickly. Um, two years, had the opportunity to come here to Illinois. Um, you know, to come back home. Like I said, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm a Big Ten kid. I'm a Midwest kid. Um, I always saw myself coming back to the Big Ten to some capacity. And Illinois, uh, as much as, you know, I was and still am, you know, to some capacity, a Badger fan at heart, you know, growing up in Wisconsin. Um, you know, Illinois was a no-brainer, absolute no-brainer to come home. And when I got hired here, it was for women's basketball and volleyball. Um, did that for a year. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of challenges that come with having two, you know, premier women's revenue generating sports. Um, you just can't be in two places at once with two teams that really want to do it the right way and get it done. And so I had the choice between basketball and volleyball. Basketball, you know, it's just going to be those, you know, 12 to 15 athletes any given year in that same building, that one place. Um, and even though basketball is my passion, like that is what I grew up doing. Um, like that is my sport. Um, I cannot see myself just being pigeonholed with one sport being that I want to be a director someday. So volleyball to me was a no brainer. Um, even though I did not grow up playing volleyball, you know, a little bit in grade school where, you know, you had six people on the floor and you just rotated in a circle. Um, so like volleyball to any high level capacity, I was just never around. Um, but it made sense for me being a director. I got to keep both golfs by choosing volleyball as well. Um, you know, I got to work with a whole staff on the, on the Olympic strength side here. Um, and it just allowed me, I think, a little bit more freedom um, to challenge myself in uh, many different capacities versus just like the basketball world. So, yeah, like I said, I've been here almost seven years. Um, and it eventually came full circle back to back to home, back to the Big Ten. Yeah, like many coaches, you've you've been on a journey. You've had a lot of stops along the way. This profession has taken you all over the country uh, to a number of different size institutions, coming out of a D3 undergrad program and uh, really getting to experience uh, a lot of different sports. And that's what I want to ask you. You mentioned looking at job descriptions, pursuing a master's degree because Everyone in the field, all the jobs in the field were requiring those, wanting to be a director one day. So making sure that you had experiences working in different sports. What value do you think that brings to a strength and conditioning coach? I know we'll talk volleyball in a little bit, but what value do you think it brings to have experience working in different sports? Why is that important, important to the director role? Right. 
Um, I think as a director, uh, obviously, like you were the leader of many different individuals, right? Um, and it's, 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 you know, quote unquote, a young man's game, right? So you, you hire a lot of individuals as a director that perhaps don't have a lot of experience. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what um, level you are at. doesn't matter what institution you're at, right? Like you're going to have, um, you know, subordinates that, that don't have a lot of experience. So they're going to be coming to you asking a lot of questions, um, you know, and, and you need to be able to provide, you know, appropriate guidance in, in helping them, you know, through the X's and O's of not only just like the programming of, you know, like the X's and O's, but, you know, how to deal with the culture of those sports as well. Um, you know, like I think, of, I think to my golf teams here, the, the the culture between men's and women's golf it's just different like it's the same sport but it's just different and it's not to say like one is superior you know over the other it's just men's women's golf is just they're in two different places um even from a professional standpoint down to the collegiate level right now like they're just different and i think back to your you know even um you know, mid-major being with, you know, men's and women's basketball, you know, you're, you're helping train both of them. You're in the weight room with both of them, same sport, right? Tech, give or take same sport, right? But it's just different. And so understanding the culture um, at, at every different level as well, um, I, I think it is important as a director as well in, in helping your, you know, subordinates, the, the people you are leading, you know, in your department in helping them through, you know, not only the good times, but the tough times as well. Yeah. I'm hearing there's a leadership element to it, but also the X's and O's and the culture piece that, uh, but an interesting thing you said is that we get exposed to these leadership opportunities, maybe earlier than in other professions. Uh, just because like you said, it's a young man's game. It's something that it's tough to say, but the finances of, of our profession sometimes um, dictate that for, for a lot of coaches, but it's, it's a double-edged sword as a field. We want to advance into these director level roles. Sometimes that can be a pathway to uh, higher salaries and more sustainability in our positions. And so we do fight for that at the NSCA, but uh, it definitely got me thinking about, when le when leadership opportunities happen within a strength and conditioning coach's career, uh, the value of assistant coach roles in in building that experience towards leadership roles, and uh, you mentioned a few times having you know having your foot to the fire essentially in in seeking out opportunities in the field where you were going to get meaningful uh, springboard type experiences to push you towards that next step in your progression. Is that something you encourage young coaches to seek out opportunities where they're going to get hands-on coaching experience, actually get to oversee teams? Um, you know, there's a lot of different types of internships and, and junior experiences out there. What advice do you give young coaches? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, one of the biggest reasons I stayed at Northern Colorado, um, not just for the, you know, the experience of staying out in Colorado and, you know, experiencing like the culture and the mountains and, and all of that fun stuff, because um, it's so different from Wisconsin, right? Um, 
but as I was given the opportunity at a mid-major to lead swimming, diving, and all of track and field. So I'm 22, 23 years old. I'm getting paid nothing, straight volunteer work, but I had the opportunity to lead three teams, swim, dive, track, and field all by myself. Um, and that's part of the reason I did not seek out a GA, uh, among others, but I was given so much responsibility and I earned it and I earned it. Right. But I was given it so early and had the opportunity. I was like, this is cool. I don't know if I would get this somewhere else. I have a great relationship going here. Just a good thing. I'm not I'm not going to just get up and go and leave because I'm chasing, you know, money or a stipend or another logo somewhere else. Like I had a really great opportunity and I just wanted to see it through. Um, and, and that was a big thing at t- going from Northern Colorado then to Villanova is, yeah, I helped with football and both lacrosses, but then I had five teams to myself at age 25. Um, again, getting paid a stipend, not a whole heck of a lot, living in a busy, very expensive city. But I was like, if I keep at this, if I keep my you know, nose to the grindstone and I keep asking questions and I show up every day and I'm consistent with what I do, this is just a one-year gig and it's going to lead me to something bigger. Um, and I'm very thankful that I had support from family at the time to kind of you know, help me through some of those hard financial times. Um, but I think if you have the ability and the support to do it. Um, Seek places out that give you the opportunity to be on the floor um, and to have a mentor or mentors at those places. Seek those out, find out where they are and get your foot in the door, no matter what it takes. Like stay persistent about it. I think those are the best places to end up at is the places that give you coaching opportunities and that actually take the time to mentor you, not just, hey, set up, you know, tear down, you know, squirt, wipe. Okay. Get out of here for the day. Like they actually take the time to sit down, answer your questions. They, they review you, they ask you questions, they challenge you. And as frustrating as it is, and maybe scary as it is sometimes to, to sit there with your mentor and have them, uh, challenge you, you know, and really get you to think, um, I, it has, if you're willing to be open-minded and have a growth mindset, it always, it always leads you to something to something maybe not bigger, but I guess better, more fulfilling um, to the place you want to be is I guess what I'm getting at. Yeah. There's a balance in the, in the amount of autonomy we want early in our career. We want to have that guidance. We want to have that support from, and you keyed in on it, a mentor, essentially someone to help guide you with the experience that you don't have yet, but also the opportunity to practice what you're learning and having your own teams or a lot of responsibility in any given role is, is a way to do that. I want to ask you some volleyball questions. This is a sport you've worked with quite a bit, a sport you didn't really want to work with initially, but you, um, you, you're from the last presentation I saw, you have a really in-depth program and this is a sport that's gaining a lot of popularity right now at the college level, at the professional level, but also at the youth level. And so how do you approach training for volleyball? Take us through your needs analysis and just some of the areas you key in on. Yeah. Volleyball is interesting, right? From a lot of different perspectives, you have essentially one team, but you have four different 
positions, right? Or like types of athlete that are all on the floor at once. You know, you got your setter, your pin, your middle blocker, and then, you know, your DSs are like your, your little guys running around in the back. Um, you know, so, so I've battled back and forth in my head a lot of, do I train all four of those positions differently? Um, I had a lot of discussions back and forth with, you know, even the sport coaches to other strength coaches. Um, and I think when you are, for me, when, when we are talking about team, like this is a true team sport, right? Um, there is no, Hey, just one player, you know, is changing the trajectory of your season or one player is winning the game for you. Uh, maybe like a basketball team, um, or, or a golf team or tennis team, right? Um, you need all players on the floor firing in order to get the ball back over that to score points, right? Like if your pass is bad, like your set's going to be bad, probably maybe, <laughs> um, and, and you know, your, your, your hitters, your hitters aren't, don't get a good crack at the ball either, you know? So like everyone has to be on point in the sequence of getting the ball back over the floor or back to the other side of the floor. Um, so to me, when we are talking, talking true team sport, I like to train the team as a team in the weight room. Everyone is doing the same thing. Um, they all need strength upper, lower, they all need power, upper, lower, and they all need to be conditioned. They just maybe use it differently depending the position, right? But you, you need all those things. You need to be strong, you need to be powerful, you need to be in good shape. And we train as a team. Um, now maybe in season is where I get a little bit more diverse in how I train different individuals and not necessarily per position. Uh, maybe depending the day per position, you know, if we're coming out of a tough match, you got six rotation pin hitters. Yeah, I'm going to maybe train them differently than you know, the, the, the serve specialist or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, in season, you know, you have anywhere from, oh my gosh, I've had 16 athletes on a roster before and I had six different programs happening. You know, you got your fifth year, um, you know, who's got a lot of miles on their body. You got your fifth year, who's still kind of sitting the bench, right. You got, you know, your, your young kids, your freshmen, maybe that are redshirt, you got your freshmen that are playing. Um, maybe you have a return to play kid. Maybe you have um, like a kid that only plays three rotations. You have a kid that plays six rotations, right? You can have a lot of different things happening. Um, and I, so I think in season is probably the most appropriate time to make those adjustments within the team from a training standpoint um, versus out of season. Like, like I said, we're all, we all have a common goal. We're all trying to get stronger to some capacity. Um, maybe depending the kid a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller, you know, but that maybe is more of a nutrition talk at that point. Um, we're all trying to get in better shape. We're all trying to get more powerful. Um, and then from, you know, the X's and O's of what I put on paper, I have what I call my big rocks and my little rocks. Right. So, you know, my big, my big, you know, core movements, you know, we got our jumping, we got our pushing, we got our pulling, we got our hinging, we got our squatting or lunging of some sort, right? Um, like, those are your big things like that, you know, they're going to be like the, 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 you know, if, if we have like block one, like that's going to be like the first thing I do in that block that day, right? Uh, block two, that's going to be, you know, the big thing that we're emphasizing in that block. And then I have what I call my little rocks, like, what are the little things um, that complement the big rocks. What are the little rocks that complement the big rocks, right? And so in volleyball, that is our lower quarter, right? Our feet, our ankles, like our shin, calf area. We have our hips, right? We like our ACLs. So we, we try to keep our hips really, really strong. Um, strong core, right? You have girls that could be upwards of 6'3 to 6'6. And 
there's a long way for forced travel from, you know, the time they push off the ground all the way till their hand smacks the ball, you know, so you have to have a strong core. Um, and then obviously the shoulder, right? So those are my four like little rocks that I always try to pair with my big rocks. So for example, if I'm, you know, squatting that day, that is my big rock. Um, you know, a little rock that's probably paired with it or two little rocks that are probably paired with it, some sort of core work, some sort of hip work. And that's how I approach my training. And then, yeah, every single day, there's just an emphasis to, to each day. You know, are we conditioning? Is it more of a conditioning emphasis today? Is it a strength emphasis? Is it a power emphasis? It is a speed emphasis, uh, change of direction emphasis. It just depends the day. Um, but that's kind of how I approach and I attack my programming. Uh, I guess you're round for volleyball just looks a little bit different in season versus out of season. That was awesome. No, you there's jumping, there's landing, there's agility. Uh, it, there's obviously overhead elements. It's an overhead sport and you're dealing, and you mentioned this, you're working with taller, longer lever athletes probably helps having that biomechanics background to be able to adapt training and think of modifications to programs uh, to find exercises athletes do well and progress them through. I want to ask you about that progression over a four or five, maybe sometimes six year with, with the COVID year progression. Uh, being a sport that is on the rise, where, where are freshmen first year players coming in in terms of their readiness for college athletics? How do you progress them through to be effective contributors on the court? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the big 10 is a wild animal in terms of volleyball. Um, so if you are at least in our program, um, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be fair and not speak, you know, for anyone else, any other teams in the big 10. Um, if you are playing for us as a freshman, like you're probably doing something well, you're probably doing something right. Maybe even you are plugging a hole, um, you know, for a position that just really needs a body there. Um, and, and not saying like, Oh, you're just, you're just there to plug a hole. You're just a body, you know, but like, like you are, you are in, we're in severe need of someone in that position um, to make an impact there. And yeah, so you are probably red shirting uh, your freshman year here. Um, what I've seen now I'm going into in season number eight is that freshman year uh we treat much i guess the way football has done in the past is you know they kind of redshirt their their freshmen and they make that a true developmental year and now going into you know year eight but year seven with my current head coach um and, and kind of taking that that route and that philosophy towards our freshmen is that 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 developmental year is so huge they grow and learn so much because they are given the opportunity to just sit back and absorb and be a sponge. And they, they're allowed to fail. Like we encourage them to make mistakes. Um, we train them hard and we want, like I said, we want them to fail. We want them, we want them to learn as fast as possible, but be, be comfortable failing. Um, and what I've also seen is there when they're allowed to just take a step back and they understand and they know like they're not going to play. It's almost like a weight off their shoulders. Like there's no expectation for them, like in, in already a hard transition to college, right. In a hard transition already to a faster, more physical game. It just allows them to take a back seat and just watch just to absorb everything, to be mentored. Um, 
And then by the time they are sophomores, I guess, uh, academically redshirt freshmen, then um, from an athletic standpoint, they are so much better off that that first year going in because they had that year to sit and just absorb and just relax and chill out a second and just be a sponge that first year. Um, so yeah, circling back around is that that first year is 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 big time in terms of like just just allowing them to take a step back and and calm down a second. Um, but well, what we what we have been seeing though too to answer your question, Eric, is volleyball in like juniors or like uh, like club ball in high school. Uh, it's grueling. It's, it's, it's the, the amount of games and tournaments they play in such a short amount of time. And then on like the surfaces that they do, um, we've seen just weird, nasty, like, just like overuse injuries that are happening in kids, 15, 16, 17 years old that, okay, like maybe you're specializing in your sport early. Um, you're playing a lot of volleyball in a short amount of time, but it's also like the surfaces that they're playing on as well um, for, for athletes that are going through, pu for, through puberty and, and growing at a, you know, high rate. Um, it's almost like coming in freshman year, we are trying to almost like rehab them, some of them, you know, coming in because they, they're coming in with already like these wild injuries. Um, and so from like a freshman year standpoint, it is a straight, just developmental year. Like you aren't even doing what the, what the returners or the older kids are doing. Like we are most reverse engineering, like maybe the, the bad mechanics or the, the junk you were taught or, um, you know, just trying to get you healthy again. And it's sad because you're 17, 18 years old and we're trying to get you healthy, you know, from, from playing a grueling you know, a few years of, of junior ball. Yeah. You know, one thing that stands out for me with that example, and I'll make a connection to working in professional sports is we had players coming in from all over the country. They had tons of different training experiences. And a lot of times our role in those first few years with with minor league baseball players was rehabilitating their relationship with the weight room and making that a place where they can can grow and really get to where they need to be physically uh, because obviously these families, these kids, they make a huge commitment to go play volleyball at the University of Illinois. They are They are planning this for years, going back to their middle school, elementary school years. They're working towards it. Whether sometimes whether the kids know or not, they're they're on that pathway, and there is a lot of um, really rigorous phys physical demands. I think it's important, you know, what you said, and to bring that up of how we train our youth uh, and that perspective from the college coach that's that's working with them uh, and. and keeping them progressing in their sport. I think that's a really powerful, powerful thing to think about. I want to take it a little bit further outside the, outside the court, outside the weight room. Tell me about the other demands that are placed on college athletes today. How have you seen that change? I know you've had a few different stops along the way, different universities, different programs, and, uh, you know, what are, what are student athletes dealing with? What are some of the challenges they have that 
that make their way to the weight room, maybe, maybe that you're not planning to work on that day. Right. Yeah. Uh, excellent point. Uh, you know, we, we get them, you know, 17, 18 to 22, 23 now years old. And, um, you know, what might not seem like a big deal to us, like some things that happen to them, like they're big, it's a big deal to them. You know, like we've all been there at some point, you know, like your grandparent dies or your family pet dies or your significant other broke up with you. Um, you know, like we look at that now as like older, older, you know, adults, <laughs> um, you know, we're like not giggling at it, but like, it, it just doesn't like strike us as hard because like we've been through that before. Like we've, we've had to navigate that ourselves. Um, and so that is one thing I actually do enjoy um, as a strength conditioning coach is they are willing to tell you a lot of things that they aren't willing to maybe tell the actual sport coaches, right? Because like the sport coaches, um, they dictate playing time, right? And, and not saying that our sport coaches are unapproachable by any means, but like the kids are conscious of like who they tell certain things to. And so as a strength coach, like I'm the first one they see every day. And so like, I know right away when they walk through the door, cause I see them every day. Like, Hey, our knuckles kind of dragging our head, our heads hanging, uh, our heads up high, you know, our chest is, you know, poked out a little bit. Like, you know, we're feeling it today. You know, like you can tell the way kids walk in a room, you like there's their demeanor. Um, and then you can kind of poke at, Hey, what's going on today? You know, like good. Um, you know, and, and they'll, they'll drop some bombs on you. Like, Hey, my, my family pet died and Hey, what, what can you give me today? Like, what are you feeling? Well, I'm, I just feel like I'm at like 70% today. Give me hundred percent of your 70% today, girl. Like we can do this, you know, we can work through hard things, you know, I'm empathetic, but we can still work through hard things today. You know, um, you know, other things I've seen is, you know, being at lacrosse in, in Northern Colorado, um, versus then Villanova, Hofstra, Illinois, um, you're at your different types of academic institutions. Uh, Illinois is you know, one of the, what is it like top 10 or something in the country of like business schools. We got a lot of girls in the business school. Uh, we got a lot of, we've had girls that are pre-med before, um, engineers, um, architecture. Uh, those are high academic stress majors and you'll have kids that are up till two, three in the morning working on projects. Um, you know, stuff that maybe couldn't get done while we were on the road because they had to go to lab and they had to go get it done. Um, you know, so academically, like this is a very hard institution and I've seen that take a toll on kids before. Um, and then obviously something that's popped up the last couple of years now is NIL, right? Um, to me, off days aren't really aren't off days anymore because off days are now meant for, hey, you know, I got to go meet with this guy to talk about this contract, to talk about my NIL deal. Or I got to go do a video shoot or a photo shoot or, hey, I have to uh, go put in, you know, volunteer work because this you know, group gave me some NIL money. So I, you know, like the exchange for that is I got to, I have to go do some, some volunteer work, you know, which is all good. Like, you know, cause the volunteer work, it, it's, it's meaningful. It, it really is. Um, but it's like, Hey, then you're coming in after an off day and it's like, Oh, how was your off day? Oh, busy. Well, why was it like, why weren't you able to like, just slow down and reset? Well, you know, the NIL stuff popped up again. Um, which is good. Like I'm all for athletes getting paid, um, you know, and, and getting, and getting theirs, you know, because they, they do make a lot of money for us, for the university. Um, and for them to finally, you know, get their share, I think is, I think is pretty cool. Um, but it's walking that fine line of like, is it taking away from, 
you know, rest recovery, not just from a physical standpoint, but more from like an emotional and mental standpoint as well. Like, do these kids ever get time off anymore? And as much as we say, you know, you know, embrace the grind, no days off. Um, that's not really how the human mind and body works. Like we're not robots. We're humans at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. The NIL conversation is interesting. I think early on, I remember a couple panels and conversations of, you know, what do strength and conditioning coaches need to know about NIL and how it's affecting the, the collegiate environment. I think you touched on some key points there. Those are things that we talk about a lot uh, in the professional sports world of, you know, players going to meet with their agents or representatives or do, um, you know, like you said, photo shoots or different things outside of outside of their normal sport. They're dealing with that earlier now. Uh, are there any other areas you're seeing NIL sort of enter the weight room or just areas that you think strength and conditioning coaches should be aware of in this new college landscape? If you is that something you think about? Um, I have actually, like, I've seen it already. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. I, I, I honestly, I could not tell you what this athlete's deal was or who it was with. Um, but, I, I mean, it was perceived something to be with something, like, physical, like, like yeah. the way you look, right? And um, this athlete was taking pictures in the way, like, brought teammate in with them was taking pictures in the mirror in the weight room it was kind of like one of those things like it dawned on me like well you know that's a weird thing to be taking pictures of um you know like to put that on that person's you know instagram or twitter or whatever um and then it dawned on me like oh my god like that athlete's doing that for an nil thing right now like to post something um you know, to give a shout out, you know, to, to promote that, their, their NIL deal, like that product. And, you know, just approached the athlete. It was like, Hey, you know, just, I was super curious, you know, uh, Oh yeah. NIL, you know, promoting my thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it, I just, it did not dawn on me that like they can now, I guess, use our facilities. And I thought that's a bad thing, I guess, I guess maybe more of a heads up to, Hey, yeah. can I come in and do this? Um, it just didn't dawn on me, like our facilities now are being used to help promote these athletes as well. Um, which I guess is kind of cool in a way. Um, like, I guess if it gets more athletes thinking that the weight room, you know, to your point is cool or restructuring the way they think about the weight room, um, in a, in a positive light, um, it puts the weight room more of in a positive light. Um, you know, like this, this is part of the athletes training regimen um i guess i'm all for it's just more of like time and a place i suppose um yeah. and having those conversations with the athletes that like hey this is cool i'm all for it i support it let's just make sure like it's not overshadowing anything else that we're doing or taking away from the other student athletes in the weight room yeah i, I could imagine there's some coaches listening in that would hear this conversation and think instantly like i i couldn't allow that to happen in my weight room or that's just not the way we've, we, we do our business here, that kind of thinking. But, you know, one thing that is interesting is this is very new NIL to NCAA. It's obviously very new to us, strength and conditioning, uh, but it's new to the athletes and institutions as a whole. Uh, 
you know, what are the exact rules and regulations around facilities and uh, copyrights and legal, all this stuff. We don't, you know, that's not our area of expertise, but we are learning a lot right now. I think it's really interesting to discuss this. And uh, we're really at the stage where these conversations are powerful because we're hearing what coaches and what's happening on these colleges and universities. And uh, you shared some things that I hadn't really thought of yet. So I think that's really, really cool. And uh, no, I've enjoyed this conversation today and uh, got to learn a little bit more about volleyball, your background, uh, NIL. I didn't think we were going to touch on that one today, but that's, that's a, uh, that was a cool topic. And uh, just the overall demands that are on, that are placed on collegiate student athletes today. So I thought this was a great conversation. Um, So Emily, thank you. And if you would share um, how any of our listeners can reach out to you, what's the best way to connect? Yeah, uh, best way by email. Uh, my email is on, you know, the, what is it, fightingillini.com website, um, but I'll just spell it out for you here because my, my name is Emily Schilling, but it, my email is actually my, my maiden name, which is uh, E-S-S-E-L-M-A-N at illinois.edu. Um, so yeah, if you missed that, I guess just go to the website, uh, you know, it's on there under, you know, the, the staff directory, uh, but email, email is the best way and love connecting, love talking shop, um, you know, getting on a phone call and just, just talking, bantering back and forth and, and, um, you know, trying to learn, trying to learn from everyone as well, you know, just finished year 13 myself, um, overall as a strength coach and the longer I'm in it, the more I read. The more I listen to the the dumber I think I am. So um, there's just so much out there, and I'm always wanting to learn and and try to find new, different, better ways of of how we do stuff here as well. So willing to talk to anyone and everyone. Please do not you know be afraid or you know to to reach out. Always welcome it. Awesome. We'll help everybody out. We'll add your email to the show notes. A lot of good takeaways in there about growth mindset and just always being open and realizing early in your profession that you are you're on a path and you don't have all the answers yet and uh, you might feel like you have less of those answers as you go and your world expands even more. But I uh, I really enjoyed this conversation today, Emily. Thank you and thank you to everyone listening in. Special thanks to Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. Hey, everyone. This is Strength and Conditioning Coach Scott Caulfield. You just listened to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, one of the best sources of information about the strength and conditioning profession. If you're new to this podcast and you want to learn more, subscribe now to always get the latest episodes delivered right to you. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.